The Dugout CEO Podcast is on the air. I'm Phil Van Horn, baseball lifer and fan of the Dugout CEO. Each week, Casey Cavell goes around the horn with baseball superstars, Hall of Fame coaches, and business leaders who've used baseball experience to win the game of life. Now batting, Casey Cavell. Welcome to the Dugout CEO Podcast. Feels like opening day over here. Jeff J.J. Johnson, a really good friend, amazing father, husband, friend, lover of baseball, skier, people motivator, trusted media exec, and Emmy winner. Jeff, welcome to the Dugout CEO Podcast. Hey, Casey, how are you, my friend? It's so good to see your face. Likewise. And we go way back, and uh, it's good to connect again. 100%. Looking, looking forward to this. Yeah. So I remember the first time we ever met, it was 2012. I remember you brought your son into our baseball academy, and I threw him batting practice, and I was scared to death because I'm like, I need three helmets and a face shield because that boy could hit the ball. You know what, Casey, thank you so much. And, and, and let me tell you, he has been an absolute joy from that time. He was 12 in 2012. He was about, what, 13, maybe 12, 13 years old. And from that point on, Atlanta was one of the greatest experiences for us when we moved down there. And then getting into the baseball scene down there and your facility, your guys, the things that you guys are doing over there helped him so much. So, you know, you know we love you and we love what you guys have done. And he's been continuing in the baseball thing for a long time. I love it. Yeah, I know he ended up making playing professional baseball and doing a whole lot of good. And he's still on the game now. And maybe we can you know, talk about that a little bit later, but, you know, Jeff, tell me about your baseball background. Casey, you know, my baseball background is one that is kind of varied. As a player, um, I was decent. I was not, it wasn't over the top. I was more of a footballer. And what happened was, you know, Little League, when I was playing in in Charlotte, because I'm from Charlotte, we were playing Little League, and I liked it. I loved the hitting, but when somebody got up there and started throwing that heat, I was like, hey, wait a minute. And I couldn't hit them back if they hit me with the ball or anything. It was a little weird. But I come from a baseball family. My father was an, was an incredible athlete back in the days. Uh, and he was the kind of guy that was, you know, football, basketball, baseball, loved baseball. He was courted by the Negro Leagues during that time, a lot of barnstorming teams, colleges, black colleges during that time. But he never got to play uh, in college because he couldn't go to college because his parents, he couldn't, his parents couldn't afford to let him go. Wow. And he never got that opportunity to play football or baseball, but he played baseball on a lot of semi-pro teams. And back in the day, they were called semi-pro teams. But, um, so my love of baseball stems from a long, long, uh, I think road of, of family games and just being around these, these wonderful guys got into, really got back into baseball when Will came along. And always have loved to, you know, raise my team. You know, I always kept up with it. But when Will got back in, when my family got back in, my, my, my son got into it. I really blew up there. Got involved with his teams, his development, got into uh, marketing and promotion and events and finding out about tournaments. I just sucked it up. It was a sponge to me. It was, it was a very unique experience. So that's kind of where my baseball 
uh, experience is from the playing side and, the, and that side and some other things that are going on. But I also did a lot of stuff in the media with baseball because I worked for Peachtree TV, Turner. I used to do a lot of things with Braves on air, uh, out in the community and things like that. So, you know, baseball has been a really big, big part. And there's other things that I can talk about, but I'd go on too long. <laughs> so you grew up a Braves fan, is that right? 100%. All right. So who was your favorite player that you looked up to growing up? You know, I have a number of them. Let's start with the Braves. Hank Aaron. I mean, it was just it, – and, you know, and I was trying to think of why I liked him so much, and I think it's because of, one, incredible baseball player, can play the game like crazy, but – a long time ago, when we were in Atlanta for a baseball game with the family, we went over to my Uncle Joe's house, right? And, you know, we're, I was just a kid doing this, and we were all over there. The cookout was going strong. The family was going strong. And this man was walking up the, the uh, driveway, coming up. And I'm going, God, he looks real familiar. Hank Aaron. And he came up to see my Uncle Joe and talked. And, and from that point, I've always been a his his fan, but his humanity, his connecting, his you know he looked at all the little people as a girl, little boy. How you doing? No, what's your name? And all this stuff. Just a wonderful guy. So Hank Aaron, of course. But I got three others real quick. Rude Foster is one of my favorite baseball players, and guys in the business who started the Negro Leagues. Uh, Roberto Clemente, a man of color, who was just an incredible humanitarian, incredible baseball player, and Willie Stargell for the, the, the Pittsburgh Pirates. I mean, you know, the captain, we are family. He was just, all of these guys had, not only were they great baseball players, but they were great people. They were great humanitarians. They were great community-minded guys. And that's what I, I loved about them. You've accomplished a lot. You've done a lot in your life, both personally and professionally, Jeff. Is there something that sticks out that, maybe was a whole run for you, whether it was in life or a business that you know, maybe you could tell our listeners about. Maybe tell us how you made it happen. Wow. Home runs. Um, I, think, I think one of the biggest home runs in my life was as I was coming up and trying to decide what I wanted to do. I've been in radio broadcasting communications ever since I was like 10 years old. And so I always knew that that was something that I wanted to do, but there were a lot of other things that I got into because you're not going to believe this, but I was a professional snow ski racer. I went to Appalachian State University, got into snow skiing, uh, worked in the snow ski business for a lot of years, and raced professionally slalom, giant slalom uh, in the southeast and across the country, and, which was very unique. That's a whole other show. We could talk about that. But, but when I got out of the snow ski business, I decided to come back and get really get back into the radio TV business. And through a chance encounter in Charlotte, met a good friend of mine. He said, you need to come over here to this particular radio station, television station, WJZY. And I went there. And from that point, that was a huge home run for me. Those connections coming back to my hometown, the timing of it all was just really, really unique. So that led to you know, movies, commercials, um, uh, content development, marketing, promotion, all across the country with a lot of different things. And, you know, now I'm working with the EW Scripps Company as their director of strategic uh, community planning, where we go out and we talk to a lot of different 
companies and nonprofit organizations about partnering with all of our network group. And it's, you know, that was probably the big home run for me. You have a, a sense of passion and purpose to everything you do. And, you know, a lot of the people that listen to our show, they're leaders. They're leading other people. But leadership is lonely sometimes. You're at the top. People are relying on you. And a lot of leaders are empty, right? They're searching. They're seeking. They're, they're, they're unfulfilled. Any advice you would have to other people that are in leadership, whether they're an owner or they're a head coach, to, to pull them up and encourage them? I think the biggest thing is know yourself and know that you are not the, you're not everything. You don't have all the answers. You don't have, you, there's, there's so much more you can gain when you invite people in than when you're just throwing stuff out, throwing stuff out and expecting them to suck it in. It's, it's just different when you invite people in, you allow, you invite ideas, you invite personality, you invite all these, these things that you might not have known. And then once you get it, your success rate exponentially goes up because you're incorporating yourself with people that are, that you like, people that are a lot of times, especially in my case, smarter than me. <laughs> you know, I mean, it makes a difference when, when, you, when, you, when you bring people into the fray. So I just think for any CEO, CEO out there, remember to be humble. Remember to listen and, and not think you're all that. Because to be very honest, you wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for other people. It's, I, just, I just totally believe that. I love that. Now, I don't know if this is baseball guys or just guys in general, but we do think sometimes we're all that. Or we're sometimes in my back in the day, I was scared to tell other people I wasn't. I was too scared. Do you see that in men or leaders or coaches that, you know, either one, we're not humble and we think we all got it figured out, or two, I know I don't, but I'm scared to even talk about it because I'm supposed to have it all together. I'm the, I'm the head coach. I'm the CEO. What does that look like? You know, it's interesting you said that because it's, I do recognize, I do see that more in men. Men have always been conditioned to be strong, to be the people that can hold it all together. And, and I had an experience. Here we go with all these different experiences that helped me to learn things. But my wife and I lost the child uh, before we had Will. And I always thought that I would be the, strong, the strongest one. I, you know, well, we'll get through this. And, I mean, even right now I'm getting chills from it because it, it was the most devastating thing I've ever had to experience in my life. And it made me realize that as strong as you can be, as tough as you think you can be, you can be humbled and brought to your knees just like that. And that was one of those experiences. I thought I could handle it. It, it took a long time to come to grips with it, to help to, to figure out where I was in the process and to let my emotions be what they were. So many times I see in men, we tend to hide our emotions because we, we don't want to appear weak. You know, I'm a major believer that in our weakness is our strength. And that's, you know, that's through my faith and different things like that. And, and I get stronger. I mean, I just feel better when I know that I'm being truthful with myself and with people around me and being honest. So, yeah, that's uh, 
That's I see that a lot in men. Everybody has it. Don't get me wrong. But men, we need to loosen up. <laughs> These small guys, you know, they they put on that uniform, and we all think, you know, I think I'm six foot tall. I'm actually five nine, right? But I'm just indeed. You know, when I'm leading a meeting, I got puff out my chest a little bit, and I've had to really realize I'm not the smartest man in the ring. For years, no, I was. And I ended up, you know, being humbled as a result and have learned from that. And I think you were talking about that storm that you went through, and I heard this the other day. You know, we're either, we're either in a, a storm right now, we're either leaving a storm, or we're about to jump into one. And I think whether it's your yes. faith or it's your foundation or the people that you surround yourself with, like life is a series of storms and obstacles and challenges. But like you said, be humble, know yourself, know you don't got it all figured out. And it's okay not to be okay. I think that's really powerful. It is okay not to be okay. And it's okay to seek help. You know, my dad, my dad is so cool. He, my dad's 85 years old. And one of the things that this hardworking man always taught me, because when, when like, and especially I remember when I was married and I got my house, I'm not a handyman, okay? And when, when dad was, when, when we were little and we were fixing things and, you know, sawing and doing things, he'd say, okay, you need to saw this. I'd saw it. It would be off just about every time because I wasn't taking my time. You know what I mean? And he would always say, son, if you want to get it done right, you need to seek professional help. And it took me a while to kind of realize because I was always relying on myself. But what he meant was seek somebody who has, who's done it before who has a different outlook on it than you. Because, hey, come on, you don't want to buy a table built by Jeff Johnson. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> so if I, can find, if I can build that same table that I got in my mind with somebody who actually knows how to do it, you're going to have a quality problem. And that's, that's kind of the, <laughs> the way I like to look at that, that part of it. Well, why do people like to take the shortcut or pay somebody to build a table that's never built a table and then all of a sudden one of the leg falls off and then all of a sudden, you know, you got a whole big problem. Like whether it's a business owner or a coach, you can coach it. It's like you're a head coach of a, of a major league team or a college program or a CEO. Like I wonder how many of those people have people that are speaking truth into their life because one, if they're at the top of an organization, it's hard for people to be real and honest with you. Like why yeah. is that, that one People don't seek out those experts sometimes. They, they go on their own. They're, or they're, why is that? That is interesting. I mean, I, you know, when, when a person rises to that particular level of success, they do have a certain aura about them. You know, they are perceived as being the smartest, the best, being able to get to those particular places. And a lot of time that breeds a lot of, of you know, insecurity in that person who then comes along and then he's trying to compensate for that insecurity of being found out that I'm not all that, that sometimes leads to problem. But I tell you the most, the most successful people that I have known that have been at those levels, again, comes from the guys that are just, let's talk about this. I don't know all about this. You're the expert. You're the expert. And that's why I hired you. You are the best hitting coach in the world. That's why I hired you. I'm not the best hitting coach, but I can recognize talent, and you got talent. That's where I feel the leadership really comes from, is for you as a leader to recognize your level of where you are in this whole thing. You are the guy, the buck stops with you. 
So if the buck's going to stop with me, everybody around me is going to be better than me. I love that. And I, everybody. And I think I had this challenge early on in my life where I would surround myself with people that I knew <laughs> I was a couple steps ahead of in life because it almost made me feel better about myself, if that makes any sense. It was like this thing in me because I didn't have confidence in who I was as a person that I didn't want to surround myself with somebody that might have been better than me, might have been smarter than me because I was scared. And yes, it took me years to figure that one out. And that's, that's some deep stuff. And, and, and you know, Casey, fear is a big motivator. It can either be a big motivator for good or bad. So I always, always challenge people to find that, that part of fear. Never be afraid of it, but don't let it take you into a place that you don't need to be. Don't let it take you to somewhere that becomes a negative type of, of energy that you get. I hope that they can allow that, I don't even know if I want to call it fear, but apprehension maybe. You know, don't be afraid of it. Try to understand it and go, okay, now how do I get above this? How can I move above this and do better and feel better about myself and the things that we're trying to do without this fear? And I feel like a lot of times, once you get that in your mind, you go, what was I scared of in the first place? This is great. You know, things work out really well for that. I love it. And you said it earlier about listening, being able to listen. <laughs> my my free business partners, he would sit in a meeting for an hour. Last <laughs> five minutes. Yes. But when he talked, we listened. And I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I sit there and talk for 47 minutes. Well, they tune me out after the first seven, right? And I'm just flapping my lips, trying to pretend I'm important. And he would have this very specific thing to say, and it just made a really good point. And I was listening this morning about, uh, oh, they called it, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the name. Uh, is it work salad where you just talk, 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 but you're not really. Staying? Oh, yeah, a work salad. You just yeah. blab it. But salad doesn't have any actual, like, value. Like, there's no nutritional vacuum. Oh, well, you got the roughage, just the roughage. Yeah. <laughs> and I think so many people, they're just talking and talking and talking. They're not listening. So I should probably shut up right now, Jeff, and you teach me more things right now. I got to listen. Well, well, let me tell you what. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to come and talk about it because there's so much when you're talking about baseball. I know this is all surrounded about baseball and, and our business and stuff. But I'm going to tell you, the, the, the relationship between baseball and life, I'm trying to get my camera right, it's so, it's so amazing. And having lived through, living kind of vicariously through Will, seeing what he had to go through to get, to go through this, go through high school, to be, to get involved in elite level baseball, the trials, the tribulations, the successes, the failures, and there's a ton of failures. And then just to keep on trucking until you get into the pros and now doing what he does with the Dodgers, I've learned so much of what persistence and tenacity and that relationship between baseball and life really is. And it's, it's, it's one of the best. So any of anybody that's in baseball right now, you are in a really unique industry and one that I think correlates very well to what life is all about. Sometimes you hit it. Sometimes strike out. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. I, 
if I ask myself this question, I'd have to ponder it and think for a long while. And then I come up with a list of 97 different things of swing and misses, right? There's no mulligan. There's no mulligan in baseball, right? But there's anything that you look back on, whether you're 27 or 37 or whatever, you're like, you know what? That was a swing and a miss. I wish I would have been able to do that differently. We all learn from our things, right? But anything that kind of comes up as a good learning lesson for you know, our audience? Yes. This goes back to when I was going into high school. My mom and dad got a divorce. And again, another devastating time in life. Um, definitely a swing and a miss from, for, I think for me, uh, for sure, my brother. Uh, you know, we've come around as a family. Even though they divorced my mom and dad, but my mom and dad were always there. My brother and I were very lucky because they were still both there, always around. But I tell you, it's a different, it was a different type thing. I always felt detached to an extent. Still happy, go lucky, but there was always that thing. So I think in my life, the biggest swing and miss I had was just that element of feeling detached even though I would, there was much love and everything from that divorce, the hit, the swing, and the knock it out of the park was when I married my wife because it made me realize that love was always going to be there when you find that right person. And that experience of going through that divorce with my, fa my family made me realize I'm never going through that. I always tell my wife right now, we get in a little argument. If you leave me, I don't know where, where I'm going because i got to go with you. I don't have anywhere else to go. Where am I going? <laughs> you know, we joke about that. But it is. It's been the best thing. My marriage has been the best thing that ever happened. So that was my swing, and I missed one. And that was not necessarily my fault, but it, it affected me. But when I had an opportunity to act upon it and do it the right way, I hit a home run. I love that. What? <laughs> How many years? Thirty years. Thirty years. Yeah, thirty. It's thirty years. It's thirty years. And if she's anywhere around in this house right now, she'll hear you go. You know, we were married. We're married twenty one. Trying to figure that. It's been a while, bro. We're now married six months after the Cubs won the World Series because I remember. One, I've already seen it all. I mean, my life's nearly complete. I might as well get married now. The Cubbies have won it all. But also now I know the year I got married, right? I'll never forget that. Um, you never, you never forget that. You're exactly right. Now, what would you say? Uh, your wife would say your best attribute is as a husband. What do you think that is? What would she say? We joke around a lot, and she says probably my best attribute is that I can lift things, very heavy things. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I can, I can. To take a bunch of stuff and move it wherever it needs to go so I'm strong with like that. I hope she would say, and I think she does, that I'm a caring man who loves his family and my and my major attribute, I think, is connecting with people and 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 being a genuine person wherever we go. Um, yeah, that's it. Just just being me. Just and thank God she loves me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're better we're better for for sure with all much better i am much better because of her well, where are you where are you spending your time today and uh what do you got going on today one of the big things that i do just real quick with the ew script thing and the media stuff you know we have 
foot nine networks that I do a lot of work for, Bounce, Court TV, Ion, all these different folks. So I'm very busy with the the duties that I have within that. But one of the other things that I'm starting to realize is that life to me is very cyclical. You know, one part of life, you work hard to get up to this level of success, and then you reach it, and it's all well and good. As you move into that second part of your life, you start to think, huh, do I want to, do I want to continue to do all of that stuff that got me up here for the rest of my life? And meaning, you know, the trials, the tribulations, and all these other things to get you to the success. And I'm just at a point now where I don't need that. You know, the thing that I'm trying to do now is impart, is to give back whatever knowledge and things that I've been taught, I've learned, to to be a very much a valued member of the society. One of my big volunteer things that I do a lot of, of things with right now is very into baseball in the black community. And there is an organization out of Atlanta called Minority Baseball Prospects, which is a wonderful organization. I do a lot of stuff with them just to volunteer my time, just to say, look, what do you guys need? And, you know, they say, well, we need this, we need that, we need this, and I do it. Marketing, promotion, event planning. You know, my son started a company called Momentum Baseball, which is a data analysis and different uh, things like that. You know, we've got a, our trap man stuff, and we do all that all over the place. And being able to help a young man get to a point where he knows more about himself or young woman, because minority baseball, softball prospects is the same thing, to where they can understand who they are, where their swing is, what kind of analytics, because as you know, analytics is everything. It's not the only thing, but it is a major part of what's going on today. And so many kids don't have access at all to it. They really don't. Until they get into college or they're lucky enough to get into a PG event or an event that they got that stuff there, they get it. So what we try to do is, you know, we cater a lot to uh, pro guys, elite level guys, but we also do a lot of clinics and different things with folks just so kids can see it. So they can have a little bit of data that they can go off to. And what's the website? Where would somebody go to learn more about that? You would go to MomentumBSB.com. MomentumBSB.com. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. And then, Jeff, okay. you want to share with the uh, – with Dugout Nation here, and uh, also, how would somebody get a hold of you? Um, you can always get a hold of me at jeff.jjemedia at gmail.com. Or when you're on the Momentum site, you can go there. Uh, my website is getjjnow.com. Um, and I think in parting, I'd, I'd just like to challenge everybody to find a way to give something back where you are. Meaning that, you know, so many people get bogged down in this volunteer thing. Oh, how do I give back? Sometimes giving back is just saying to somebody that you see walking down the street, hey, how you doing? That's it. Picking up a piece of paper on the street. I don't know how many times I see people just walk by a piece of paper, there's a trash can, piece of paper on the street. Just pick it up, throw it away. At least you did something. At least you did one mm -hmm. little thing for the world or whatever. And if you know that you did it, you and God know you did it. I'm okay with that. I love that. Thanks, Jeff.
Dugout Nation, holy cow, Jeff, J.J. Johnson, what a show. Three big takeaways that I got today. Number one, how to be successful at what you do when you are in a leadership position. You have to know yourself. Be self-aware. Know that you're not everything. You don't have all the answers because there's so much to gain when you invite other people into your story. And then once you're able to get feedback from others, be humble. Your success rate will go up. Number two, it's okay to be scared. Remember that in your weakness, you are strong. Be honest with yourself and be honest with the people around you. Loosen up. Play the long game. It's going to be okay. And stuff is going to happen to you in life. You learn from it. You move on and you get better. And number three, I asked him, why is it that people don't seek out experts? They just go at things on their own. And he mentioned that you know, when people rise to a particular level of success, they have this aura about them. They feel like they have to be the smartest and the best, but deep down, they often don't feel that way. They feel that they have to look the part, but sometimes they're not the part inside. And a lot of time that breeds insecurities in people, and they try to overcompensate for those insecurities of being found out. And it's okay if that person is feeling like that because that's normal, but they need to find somebody, a close relationship that they can confine in and be real with. Thank you for joining us once more for another episode of The Dugout CEO. We want to get you the tips you need to become an MVP of what you do. Sign up for our Friday Focus newsletter and you'll receive a valuable tip each Friday morning to help you build the business and life you want. You can sign up by going to CaseyCavell.com or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get notification on our next episode. And one way you can help us book more great guests like this is to please leave us a rating and honest review in the Apple or Spotify podcasting app.